welcome to the Election Ride Home for Wednesday, January 15th, 2020. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, with a summary of election news. Today, takeaways from the 7th Democratic candidate debate last night, including the dust-up that didn't really ignite, and much more substantive issues, and your impeachment update as the Senate trial approaches. It is 292 days until the general election, and here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. The big news should be the 7th Democratic candidate debate, which took place last night in Iowa. Six of the ever-dwindling number of folks running to claim the Democratic mantle were on stage, and it was frankly a pretty anodyne affair. My summary is that it focused largely on substantive policy. There was a little recrimination about past positions. No candidate had a breakout moment, whether with a new policy, a strident stance, or even many sound bites useful in ads. There wasn't much laughter, and jokes fell flat. The only genuine laughs came from moments of positive interaction, actually. You could have read candidates' policy papers to get the same information they presented in compressed, sometimes muddled brief chunks on stage. Sometimes there were real specifics, but often moderators' requests for a number or an exact plan was dissolved during a response into ambiguity or a general statement. The liveliest moments in the debate centered around the controversy as to whether Bernie Sanders had told Elizabeth Warren in a private meeting in December 2018 that he didn't believe a woman could be elected president in 2020. The meeting was to discuss a mutual non-aggression pact, which has held until recently. Sanders' campaign was found in the last few days to have distributed a script for organizers that paints Warren supporters as affluent members of the Democratic base. Sanders denied approving the script, saying, quote, people sometimes say things that they shouldn't, end quote. But Politico found the script had been distributed in two early voting states and had that confirmed by Sanders' campaign staff. The script is no longer used. On stage, there was an expectation of a dust-up, and CNN political correspondent Abby Phillip framed the situation in a way that infuriated some Sanders supporters. She asked Sanders whether he told Warren that a woman couldn't win. He said no. She asked again after his response. He said no. Then Phillips turned to Warren and said, when Senator Sanders said to you, this does seem a bit unfair because the supposition she approached Sanders with was defensive. Did you say this thing attributed to you that Senator Warren also confirms you said? While to Warren, the question assumes Sanders is effectively lying. Let's listen to this exchange, which I've edited down a bit to the salient parts. Let's not turn to an issue that's come up in the last 48 hours. Senator Sanders, CNN reported yesterday that, and Senator Sanders, Senator Warren confirmed in a statement that in 2018, you told her that you did not believe that a woman could win the election. Why did you say that? Well, as a matter of fact, I didn't say it. Uh, And I don't want to waste a whole lot of time on this, because this is what Donald Trump and maybe some of the media want. Uh, Anybody knows me knows that it's incomprehensible that I would think that a woman could not be president of the United States. Go to YouTube today. There's a video of of me 30 years ago talking about how a woman could become president of the United States. In 2015, I deferred, in fact, to Senator Warren. There was a movement, and you know what? I said, stayed back. Senator Warren decided not to run, and I did did run afterwards. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by three million votes. How could anybody in a million years not believe that a woman could become president of the United States. And let me be very clear. If any of the women on this stage or any of the men on this stage 
win the nomination. I hope that's not the case. I hope it's me. <laughs> but if they do, I will do everything in my power to make sure that they are elected in order to defeat the most dangerous president in the history of our country. So, Senator Sanders, Senator Sanders, I do want to be clear here. You're saying that you never told Senator Warren that a woman could not win the election. That is correct. Senator Warren, what did you think when Senator Sanders told you a woman could not win the election? I disagreed. Bernie is my friend, and I am not here to try to fight with Bernie. But look, this question about whether or not a woman can be president has been raised, and it's time for us to attack it head on. Warren used this as an opportunity to stress electability and how often she and Senator Amy Klobuchar had won and how many times the men on stage had lost. She scored some humor points, but it did change sentiments. It's hard to say. After the debate, it looked like Warren refused to shake Sanders' hand and he cut off the conversation, but they've been friends for a long time and I think the level of scrutiny is descending into manufactured celebrity-style coverage. Trump had a competing rally last night and said, quote, I don't believe Bernie said that. I really don't. It's not the kind of thing he would say, end quote. But, of course, Trump would side with a man. So that's that. What's probably more critical is that it's a distraction to both Warren and Sanders, who trail in multiple polls to Biden. Biden was able to stay above the fray, make some positive comments about electing women, including his work on the stump for dozens of women in the last election cycle. Biden probably benefited the most from the dust-up, which leaves supporters of Warren and Sanders dubious about the other most progressive candidate. Now, let's move on. Okay, so let's dig into more of the meat from the debate. Last night involved a lot of foreign policy discussion. Moderators asked about war powers authorization, the killing of a top Iranian official, engagement in Iraq, entente with North Korea, and nuclear weapons and proliferation. The candidates dug into their positions and brought up contradictory votes by others on the stage and talked quite a lot about troop withdrawals across Iran, Iraq, and Afghanistan. There were significant differences among candidates on this topic. Biden would leave troops to patrol, which he called a small number. Klobuchar had a similar answer, but more specifically said she would have left the 150 troops in Syria, the removal of which by Trump destabilized the region. Warren said, quote, we need to get our combat troops out, which is a clever way to sound like you're in favor of removing all troops when you are not. Buttigieg, the only person on stage who has served in the armed forces, talked from his experience. I think about the day we shipped out and the time that was set aside for saying goodbye to family members. I remember walking with a friend of mine, another lieutenant I trained with, as we walked away and his one-and-a-half-year-old boy was toddling after him, not understanding why his father wasn't turning back to scoop him up. And it took all the strength he had not to turn around and look at his boy one more time. That is happening by the thousands right now as we see so many more troops sent into harm's way. And my perspective is to ensure that that will never happen when there is an alternative as Commander-in-Chief. Biden pulled out his foreign policy experience, something that was a significant part of his portfolio as vice president under Barack Obama. He also got a great laugh when asked about meeting with North Korea's leader, with Sanders helping out. I would be putting what I did as vice president. I met with Xi Jinping more than anyone else. I would be putting pressure on China to put pressure on Korea 
to cease and desist from their nuclear power, make their, their, their efforts to deal with nuclear weapons. I would move forward as we did before, and you reported it extensively, Wolf, about moving forward the whole notion of defense against nuclear weapons that we would. And when China said to me, when Xi Jinping said to me, that's a threat to us, I said, we're going to move and protect our interests unless you get involved and protect it. I would reunite the relationship between Japan and South Korea, and I would put enormous pressure, enormous pressure on China, because it's also in their interest for them to put pressure on North Korea to cease and desist. But I would not. I would not meet with, absent preconditions, I would not meet with the, uh, quote, supreme leader who said, Joe Biden is a rabid dog. He should be beaten to death with a stick. I count that. Other than that, you like him. Other than that, I like him. And he, uh, he, <laughs> and he got a love letter from Trump right after that. Twenty twenty. A new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Three middle-class financial issues were batted around, although I don't feel like any of those topics were really advanced. This includes access to health care, child care, and college. The candidates have a lot of competing ideas that range from all three areas of key spending for the middle class being paid out of taxes to a mix of private, public, and sliding scale subsidized options. These issues are still relevant to voters who fall below the middle of the middle class, but existing government and private programs already provide some or significant assistance, and each candidate's proposals would reduce the burden further. However, the topics of poverty and income, along with housing security, food security, and the ability to climb up the economic scale, were largely absent, as was the national homelessness crisis, which has increased significantly in the face of lower unemployment and higher wages. The new NAFTA deal, USMCA, came up as it affects Iowa. Des Moines Register chief politics reporter Brian Foffensteel asked about this topic. Sanders stated his long-standing opposition to trade agreements that he says don't provide effective competition for American workers. The answer is we could do much better than a Trump-led uh, trade deal. This deal, and I think the proponents of it acknowledge, will result in the continuation 
of the loss of hundreds of thousands of good-paying jobs as a result of outsourcing. The heart and soul of our disaster trade agreements, and I'm the guy who voted against NAFTA and against permanent normal trade relations with China, is that we have forced American workers to compete against people in Mexico, in China, elsewhere, who earn starvation wages, a dollar or two dollars an hour. Second of all, every major environmental organization has said no to this new trade agreement because it does not even have the phrase climate change in it. And given the fact that climate change is right now the greatest threat facing this planet, I will not vote for a trade agreement that does not incorporate very, very strong principles to significantly lower fossil fuel emissions uh, in the world. Climate change was only mentioned in passing as by Sanders and largely later from a question aimed at Iowans. What do you do about farms and factories that are getting regularly flooded and can't be moved? Steyer had this answer. Look, what you're talking about is what's called managed retreat. It's basically saying we're going to have to move things because this crisis is out of control and it's unbelievably expensive. And of course, we're going to come to the rescue of Americans who are in trouble. But this is why climate is my number one priority. And I'm still shocked that I'm the only person on this stage who will say this. I would declare a state of emergency on day one on climate. I would, I would do it from the standpoint of environmental justice and make sure we go to the black and brown communities where you can't breathe the air or drink the water that comes out of the tap safely. Steyer was the most forceful, both about the environment and also about corporate dollars influencing politics. CNN moderator Phillips dinged him by noting his company was invested in fossil fuels until about a decade ago, which he readily admitted is when he got the religion. This gave him an opening to talk about what he's done since, but it emphasized it was an awfully recent conversion. Steyer has little chance to obtain delegates in Iowa or elsewhere and spent about $20 million on broadcast ads to flood South Carolina and Nevada in advance of this debate and earn a spot on the stage. He has some excellent points to make in line with mainline and progressive Democratic policies, but he effectively remains a distraction. I expect the DNC will attempt to set rules that deny him a place in the next debate, but they should also be trying to get Andrew Yang, who has true grassroots support, back in front of voters. Senator Amy Klobuchar has been the fifth beetle to Biden-Sanders, Warren, and Buttigieg in that order, and she tried to be more forceful and aggressive in this appearance, which is likely her last shot to advance in the polls and remain in the race beyond Iowa. The New York Times noted, quote, Ms. Klobuchar attacked Mr. Sanders on health care, Ms. Warren on pushing two grand plans, and said her experience in the Senate is more suited to the presidency than Mr. Buttigieg's time as a naval intelligence officer in Afghanistan, end quote. Klobuchar consistently went over her allotted time, though the moderator said at the outset that overages would be subtracted from later responses. Biden joked about this a bit by noting a couple times he was finishing up to not go long like other candidates. A little civility policing there from Uncle Joe, it felt like, but of all genders. Klobuchar took a moment to remember the name of the woman governor of Kansas, which a lot of pundits and people seem to seize on. Whatever, who cares? This is the kind of thing that gets heavily reported when there is nothing of interest emerging from a debate. Despite the timing rules and moderators' best efforts, there's always room for some people to talk more or to let a back and forth unspool to avoid quashing an actual spontaneous moment. NBC News has a rundown of time spoken. They say Warren got in at 19 minutes, 11 seconds, Sanders at 18.26. Then Klobuchar, Buttigieg, and Biden had each over 16 minutes. Steyer was at the bottom with just 12 minutes. 24 seconds. As I said, Biden seemed to be sitting back a little and letting other folks fight it out. 
Okay, one last issue that must be brought up. A lot of talk during this election is asking voters to guess whether other voters will vote for a candidate. We're all expected to be pundits and bookies. That's why electability keeps coming up, came up in this debate, and it comes up all the time. But there's a key component for Democratic candidates and one that fortunately has not been overlooked, black voters. Obama received a lot of ballots from white people and Hispanic voters, among other races and ethnicities, but the vast majority of black voters chose him in 2008 and 2012. In 2016, a decent subset of black voters stayed home. One third of the 4.4 million Obama voters who didn't participate in 2016 and a small but significant percentage shifted to Trump and other candidates. A Democrat winning the election in 2020 has to have strong support of black voters and convince them to come out in force. It may be easier to convince them to not vote for Trump, but harder to motivate numbers like those that came out to Obama to the polls without showing that they listen and will advance issues that affect the black population disproportionately, like economic advancement, unemployment, over-policing, incarceration, and others. Black voters will likely decide this election as they represent key constituencies in multiple swing states where battles continue to be fought over voter registration and disenfranchisement. Several candidates made a point to call out black and brown people in discussing a variety of issues, but just in passing. On January 11th, the Washington Post-Ipsos poll found that Biden was the preferred candidate among 48% of likely Democratic primary or caucus voters. Sanders had 20% and Warren had 9%. Bloomberg, Booker, Yang, Buttigieg, and Steyer ranged from 4 to 2%. 769 black Democratic-leaning registered voters were polled with a plus or minus 4% margin of error. Biden has emphasized this point, sometimes quite ham-handedly, as with his story recounting a confrontation from his days as the only white lifeguard at a pool that was largely patronized by black people in the 1960s in Wilmington, Delaware. He described a confrontation with a gang leader named Corn Pop, who led the Romans. Now, as bizarre as it sounded, all the details later checked out. Meanwhile, Buttigieg, until recently, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, has faced criticism from police practices during his tenure and has attracted relatively little public support from black leaders and politicians. CNN's Phillips asked, Mayor Buttigieg, you said you've had trouble earning the support of black voters because you're unknown, but you've been campaigning for a year now and polling shows you with next to no black support, support that you'll need in order to beat Donald Trump. Is it possible that black voters have gotten to know you and have simply decided to choose another candidate? He responded, quote, the black voters who know me best are supporting me, end quote. Ugh. Okay, I'm not sure that moved the needle for him. Finally, your regular impeachment update, which should continue for weeks to come at this rate. The House today voted 228 to 193 to send the two articles of impeachment against President Trump, previously approved, onward to the Senate. The vote was on party lines. All Democrats save one voted for it, all Republicans against it, and that one Democrat. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi also appointed the members who will manage the trial on behalf of their chamber in the Senate. The team will be led by Adam Schiff of California. He leads the Intelligence Committee. Judiciary Committee Chair Gerald Nadler of New York will be another member of the team. At 5 p.m. Eastern today, Pelosi will hold an engrossment ceremony that starts one of the few formal rituals in Congress that resemble one still common in practice in the United Kingdom's parliament. The managers will walk from the ceremony with the House Clerk and Sergeant at Arms to the Senate to present the articles to the Senate's secretary. The trial will apparently begin tomorrow, and Chief Justice John Roberts Jr. will swear senators in with a constitutionally mandated oath 
that many on the GOP side have publicly already stated that they will, in effect, violate. The few moderates in the GOP side of the Senate appear to have support to call a vote on witnesses after the trial rules are set and it commences, but it's unclear whether the four or more of them required for a majority would actually vote with 47 Democrats to call witnesses. It's a key distinction. They appear to want process, but whether they're actually going to advance the reality of it, we still have to see. And remember, when the Senate convenes the trial for as long as it takes, Senators Klobuchar, Sanders, and Warren, as well as Senator Michael Bennett, who remains in the race with no substantive support, will be off the campaign trail. Warren benefits from the backing of Julian Castro as a surrogate. However, he's not in the Senate. He can be out there in the field while she is in the trial. Senator Cory Booker hasn't yet endorsed a candidate after his withdrawal from the race, but he'll be tied up with the trial as well. And that's the election roundup for today. I am your host, Glenn Fleischman. Chris Higgins will grace the airwaves for his last episodes tomorrow and Friday. We are off for Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday on Monday. I will be back on Tuesday. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Election Podcast or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Election Ride Home. I am also on Twitter at Glenn F. That's G-L-E-N-N-F like Frank. Thanks for listening and have a pleasant night. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.